Hi friends, I'm Katherine Means. Welcome to Unlearning the Narrative of Singleness. You are listening to Episode 7, A Grief Observed. This podcast is for you if you have a single loved one, if you are endeavoring to raise teenagers in a relationship-obsessed culture, if you are a leader in the body of Christ, and last, but certainly not least, a single person yourself. Come along as we expose the idol the church has made of marriage by unlearning the narrative of singleness. We aren't unlearning for the sake of being divisive in an ever-segmented, fractured, and divided world, but to cast a vision for what a whole body of Christ could look like if we stopped elevating marriage, all while ignoring the largest unreached people group in our communities, the single adult. Changing the culture isn't easy, but it starts out with the words we use and the stories we tell. Let's learn to tell a new story about singleness together. Hi friends, today's episode is a sharp left turn from episode 6. While the last episode was all about good parts of being single, I felt it would be disingenuous not to immediately come back with an episode encouraging us to be really honest and observing the grief involved in singleness. Admittedly, I snatched this title right off a C.S. Lewis classic where he said, grief is like a long valley, a winding valley where any bend may reveal a totally new landscape. As I've already noted, not every bend does. Sometimes the surprise is the opposite one. You're presented with exactly the same sort of country you thought you'd left behind miles ago. That is when you wonder whether the valley is in a circular trench. But it isn't. There are partial reoccurrences, but the sequence doesn't repeat. This has been true of my own journey with grief. Just as soon as I think I'm over a particular pain point, Turns out there was a new wave that hits just a bit different, requiring me to hold on tight to the robes of Jesus as he ushers me through. As I thought about this conversation, there was no one I wanted to talk to more than my friend, Heather Asbell. You'll hear a little later how much she helped me process my own grief, and when I think back to that season of my life, I can't imagine how differently I would have traveled through that season without her phone call. Friends, this might be an episode you want to grab a comfy chair or a hammock for. So let's get into it. Welcome, Heather. Hey, Catherine. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. It's so good to see your face. Hey, so I'm so glad that you're here. Um, This is going to be a a very different conversation uh, than last week. Last week was all about the good parts of singleness. Uh, However... That would feel like a very incomplete statement because we all know that it's not all good, that there are some hard parts. Um, and as a culture, I, f- I feel like we're really well versed in listing the, the negative aspects of singleness. But um, that list is so often used like as a form of mockery. And so mm-hmm. a lot of times single people will carry shame. Um, because of the way they feel about the hard parts of singleness. Um, And I'm not sure we actually have honest conversations about the hard parts. And so that's what this is going to (laughs) be. And I'm so glad. I'm so thankful that you're brave. Uh, Well, you are very brave, Um, but just brave enough to be vulnerable uh, with me as I am vulnerable with you in this conversation. So 
I'm going to give you the floor in just a minute, but I kind of want to tell my friends listening that Heather has had a, had a very specific word um, to speak into my life in a very specific season of grief that I had about three, uh, almost four years ago now. And that Heather, I told you in private, but I'll tell you publicly, I mean, that conversation helped informed the way I traveled through that grieving process. And it has also given me language for how I talk about grief now, mm-hmm. that specific grief that is an old friend, um, but also um, any new grief uh, that I might experience going forward mm-hmm. in my life. And so I just want to honor you for just being a sweet friend who reached out. I mean, you pursued me. You saw me posting some things on social media and you reached out and I just thought, oh man, she's got a heart and she sees people. Mm. So I would love for you to tell our friends about a little bit about you and a little bit of your journey with grief. Sure. Um, I think over the last couple of years, um, I've really journeyed a process of grief not just in singleness, but just in life in general. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, in the last year, my mother's passed away. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I've journeyed a process of um, walking a process of grief with that, um, of not just in her death, but the process of her dying. Mm-hmm. Um, we did not have a great relationship. And mm-hmm. so um, just grieving, uh, I think our relationship that we had prior to that and the relationship we didn't have really, mm-hmm. I think grieving my childhood and wow. the childhood I didn't have grief of what didn't, didn't happen, what didn't transpire. Um, and that kind of goes along with singleness of, of that longing of, of what we kind of wanted for life and what didn't happen. And so um, I kind of have been in a process of counseling and counseling, working through kind of what that grief of, you know, kind of letting some of that process kind of wash over me and kind of like stepping into that grief process and really stepping into what was, what is, what isn't, and really kind of naming it for what it really is. And I think a yeah. lot of us really have a hard time doing that. Yeah. Um, so yeah. it's been a real season um, for the last couple of years, really just mm. um, kind of really stepping into grief and really acknowledging it for what it is. Mm-hmm. So that's good. That reminds me of a podcast I just listened to. Um, you, There was a quote from a man she read off and she said, you cannot heal what you cannot name. Mm-hmm. And so true. And you, along with another one of my close friends um, four years ago, really made that super clear. And so you, in our conversation, I told you on the phone a couple of weeks ago, I said, I remember where I was sitting in Target Mm -hmm. (laughs) when we were on the phone, um, when you shared this picture of grief as a friend. And Mm -hmm. I would love if you would share that with with our friends kind of just to inform the rest of our conversation. Sure. Um, I think the way I portrayed it to you and 
correct me if I'm wrong. Yes, I will. Um, but I think the way that I illustrated that was that grief is kind of like a friend, an mm. old friend. Um, and when we kind of come in contact with this person, this as we get acquainted with a friend, this friend is someone that we encounter in, initially. It's someone that we are getting to know. We are going to see them often. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's going to be difficult. Sometimes it's going to be challenging to be with. And it's going to be fresh. It's going to be all the time. Mm-hmm. We're going to encounter them a lot. As we get more acquainted with them, as we get more familiar, that relationship with that person is not as necessary to be as as acquainted and doesn't require as much time and energy. And mm-hmm. um, you can be more passive with that. Mm-hmm. And with grief, it can be a passive. Um, when we when we encounter grief initially, it is more in our face. Yeah. Uh, and it is more emotional. It is more engaging in our time, in our mm-hmm. physical process, in our emotional process. Um, but the more that we engage grief, I think sometimes when we become more disengaged, I think we are concerned that maybe it doesn't mean as much to right. us. Mm-hmm. And I I don't think that's the case at all. I think yeah. that, you know, sometimes long-term friends maybe mean more to us, mm-hmm. um, but maybe that distance and that time and that span helps engage us more, mm-hmm. but maybe requires less energy. Yeah. Well, because old have a friend, deeper connection. Yeah, exactly. Because old friends don't, you're like, you're right, don't require as much of our time because there's a mutual understanding that mm-hmm. we are friends and I'm not going anywhere. Right. Um, and so I think that for me, realizing, oh, grief is always gonna, gonna be here. It's one of those things where it's like, if I could just get over this, well, Mm. you don't get over a friendship. And Mm -hmm. there's, there was a little bit of discomfort in my spirit when I was like, this grief is not a friend. It has gripped me and it scares me and I don't know what to do with it. But now looking back on it, it is an old friend and it means that it mattered it still matters. And so what I loved is, uh, you said, you said one day, it's going to be, you know, grief is going to come as an old friend, and you're just going to mm-hmm. sit across the table, like you would from an old friend right. and have coffee, have coffee, and just witness, bear witness mm. to what was lost. Right. And that for me has been so beautiful a practice Mm. and um, has been really honoring. And Mm. so I just, I wanted to thank you for that again. Oh, you're so welcome. Uh, Well, I think it's important to bear witness to those things too, and to honor those things, you know, when those times come to take the time um, to sit and reminisce when grief does come, that there are times that um, it will come in, out of the blue and Mm -hmm. take us, you know, and grab us by the throat and Mm. take us to places we 
don't plan on going. Mm-hmm. Um, and to go there with the, with the grief that um, it has its own plan sometimes. Yeah. Um, but, but then afterwards to reminisce on the places that we've been with grief, like an mm-hmm. old friend, mm-hmm. where have we, where have we journeyed? Mm-hmm. Where have we been? And where are the places that, you know, all the sweet memories mm-hmm. that God has taken us mm-hmm. because there are some sweet things that I think God is doing through our journey of grief that yeah. um, if we aren't being conscious about recollecting, we can miss those things and only seeing those negative things about all the bad things about grief. Yeah. Um, we can really have a bad picture about what this grief kind of thing really is. Mm-hmm. Well, and we live in a society and a culture that just, I mean, doesn't do grief well at all. And so if, I mean, even in church, (laughs) we, we don't do grief well at all. Um, We give people a week, we drop off casseroles, and then Mm -hmm. it's back to the races. And that is just not, that's not even what the ancient world did <laughs> what, right. what the early church would have done, what the, what the Israelites did. And, um, and so I just, I think there's something to be learned. Um, I was listening to Christy McClelland. She's a, um, a Bible scholar and professor mm-hmm. and a teaching pastor at a church up in where you are. Right. And I was listening to Sunday's message. It was so good. It was the first, she was covering the first book of, or the first chapter in Ruth. And I actually wrote her a quote down because I was like, this is perfect and I need to read it. Um, So bear with me. Um, She said, the prophetic task of the church is to tell the truth in a world that lives in illusion, to grieve in a world that practices denial and expresses Mm. hope in a world living in despair. Mm. And so I love that the, it's like almost counterintuitive because here we are living in denial, but then we're also living in despair. And so the task, the prophetic task of the church is to tell the truth and to grieve, but also we don't grieve as though we don't have hope. Right. And so I loved that. That was a full picture. Um, so anybody listening, go listen to Church in the City. <laughs> yes. Church in the City. She's a fabulous teacher. I fabulous. love her. Love um, her. Well, okay. So about engaging grief and all of that, what, and let's talk specifically singleness. So grieving specifically singleness first of all what are some of the things that you've had to grieve in your singleness well there's a i would say there's a lot of things Mm -hmm. um you know just expectations of the culture number one uh you know a husband this idea of a family Mm -hmm. and i i would say that i haven't necessarily given up on them i i think i've i've kind of heard you say this before too, Mm -hmm. that, you know, I I haven't necessarily given up this idea of being married Mm -hmm. or that I think that God doesn't have that for me. Mm -hmm. I just know he doesn't have that for me right now. Right. And, um, I have 
always tried to live in a season of contentedness mm. that what what season I'm in is the season God has for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but even that is difficult mm-hmm. when you live in a culture that's geared towards families. Yeah. And um, when you desire to want to have a family, mm-hmm. I had a hysterectomy mm-hmm. seven years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so I will know I will yeah. never have children of my own. Mm-hmm. Um, so even if I were to have a partner, you know, I won't have children of my own. So mm-hmm. I've had to grieve that loss, mm-hmm. um, that even should that transpire, um, that's a loss of that. But, yeah. um, the loss of like, even my parents having a loss of like, not having a son-in-law mm-hmm. you know like the questions of well when are you gonna get married mm-hmm. and, you know just the losses of you know the cultural expectations yeah. i know that sounds crazy but, no it doesn't um, it doesn't sound crazy but, at all and and just the the ideas of of it sounds crazy uh, not crazy but like this it sounds so temporal yeah. Um, and materialistic. Sure. But this idea of building a home, mm-hmm. you know, setting a place, finding comfort mm-hmm. with another person, mm-hmm. that, that place of shelter. Yeah. That, that kind of idea of, of finding that place within another person. Mm-hmm. I with think. Skin on. Um, yeah. You know, like it, Obviously, yes. Yeah. I mean, that that place is obviously found in Jesus only. Mm-hmm. Well, um, no, I, and I know, but also what I love that you said is it, it seems temporal and a little crazy and materialistic, but, but Heather, I don't know that anybody who has not walked through the grief of singleness in whatever way, shape, or form would call that materialistic because mm-hmm. it's just the norm. Right. You and I, who have traveled through most of our adult life, I mean, all of my adult life. And so, like, we see that. uh, We see Mm -hmm. that as materialistic and temporal and not the the truest place that satisfies. But I don't know that anybody else would have that perspective. So I like that you said that. Well, and I I see that a lot of people in, in one of my counseling sessions with my counselor, we were talking about just relationships and how society and culture, married life, married culture, mm-hmm. their perspective is their unit inward. Mm. And we as single people live in an outward spoke. Mm. Like we live in our world and we live outward because we're mm. looking for relationships outward and out of ourselves. Yeah, that's good. So our perspectives of life look so much different Mm -hmm. than our married people, Mm -hmm. friends, because they're self-sufficient in their own homes. Mm -hmm. And so they, when they're looking for, you know, companionship and compassion and care and comfort, they have it for the most part. I mean, they have their deficiencies. Sure. Um, But when we're looking for those things, we 
don't find them in mm-hmm. our homes because we are a unit of one. Mm-hmm. Um, and we find those things within our relationship with Jesus. But within the context of grief, mm-hmm. we grieve that because we don't have that mm-hmm. at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, I have grieved the fact that I don't have someone to ask me at the end of the day. How was your day? Like, yeah. I don't have someone to like come in and be like, um, let me tell you about my day. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes I'd love that. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no one to hug and kiss goodnight. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, those types of things yeah. are things that I think are real losses mm-hmm. at the end of the day that yeah. I think single people really have to like ration at the end of the day that yeah. I think a lot of married people don't think about. Mm-hmm. Well, and um, to your point, I mean, I, I need you to say it again louder for the people in the back. What I want my married friends to hear is Heather just literally said, married people are focused inward and single people are focused outward to get their needs met. So mm-hmm. That is a crazy cycle if we don't break mm-hmm. it, especially sure. in the body of Christ within the family of God. Um, we need more married couples and families. I mean, definitely focus inward because I don't want your mm-hmm. marriage to fall apart. I mean, like take Absolutely. care of your people, Absolutely. but also come up for air and mm-hmm. look around. Right. Because we are looking around too, and we need you. Like, right. So much of what I have had to grieve in singleness in my in my thirties, late thirties, and even now, like when I when things I just have to like, I have to be the bigger person and give the benefit of the doubt because, well, but those are my married friends, or that's my married family members, and it's like hello, I'm over here. I, it's just, who else do you think is, you know, helping me or taking, like reaching out or things like that? Like, don't assume that I have what I need. Right. <laughs> and don't make me be the one to ask all the time. Like right. offering, seeing a need, anticipating a need in a single friend or family member is everything. It is everything. so important huge. You mentioned not knowing whether or not God has a a partner for you in the future. And, and I get that. And, and so there's still hope there and there's still open hands there. I don't know what the Lord has for my life, but I do know that I will never be a wife and a mom in my twenties. And when I was in college and I nannied all through college, so I was taking care of newborn babies and I rocked newborn babies to sleep that did not belong to me. And I was charged with caring for them and the dreams, oh my gosh, (laughs) the dreams that I had in my heart of one day being able to do this and just knowing that it was going to happen sooner rather than later because I had done everything right. And so doesn't the Lord owe this (laughs) to me, Um, Mm -hmm. which of course was completely false. But, you know, in my 21, 22 year old brain, I, I didn't know that I was prideful. I just knew what everybody else had. (laughs) And so, yeah, those dreams. I mean, I will never be a wife and a mom in my Mm thirties. 
And so that's two decades that I, I have to name that and grieved mm-hmm. in order to move forward um, in the life that God has given me to live and not mm-hmm. live it begrudgingly because, ugh, you know, but live it with joy. He said that he would give right. us life to the full and right. I believe him now. And so, but also I believe him now because I have engaged with my grief. Um, mm. But now I'm jumping ahead. So mm. what? <laughs> but what, I will say to that. Okay, yeah, go. That, that I think, I think that the church hmm. has, has taught from a very young age that if we do A, B, C, and D, yeah. God will give us. And it's teaching us as teens. Mm-hmm. I think the church teaches us an expectation. God's going to give you this if you do A, B, and C, and D. And that is not true. And I think we live on the expectation of God's this plan. And that's not the way God works. And God's plan doesn't necessarily work like work like that. And I think the church has a responsibility in owning part of that. I think they're culpable in, in our hearts. Yeah. Well, also it is a version of the prosperity gospel. It is not money, but it is blessings and getting married and having children is not the mark of God's favor and blessing on your life. Absolutely, It is a blessing and favor on your life, but it's certainly not the mark of it. So we can't, we can't look at someone who has never been married and someone who got married at a young age and has you know, five kids and has a kingdom marriage and like they're raising kingdom kids. They are the same in God's eyes. Absolutely. But we are not taught in youth group (laughs) how to point, how to pick out the blessings of the single person's life. Mm -hmm. We only know that low hanging fruit of marriage and children and the white picket fence. And frankly, mm-hmm. that is low hanging fruit of God's blessing and favor. And mm-hmm. we are called higher, right? We are called Absolutely. higher. Um, so let's, he is not a one size fits all God. He it is so much bigger and is not a part of any box that we have ever tried to create for him. That's right. So that's good. I love that reminder. All right. So next question, what do you know about God after engaging with your grief that you did not know before? That he's faithful to mm. meet us there. Mm. Um, I, I think I knew that before in my head. Yeah. Um, but I, I think that uh, I had a really hard time engaging grief because I was afraid it would overwhelm me. And mm. I, I didn't want to go there because I, not that I didn't think God could handle it because obviously I know he can. Um, but I, I, I know now that God is faithful to walk with me and to journey with me through the darkest of days and the hardest of days when I 
can't see what tomorrow holds. Yeah. When I don't know what my life is going to look like Mm -hmm. and I can't picture anything for myself, God has a picture for me and I just have to trust it. Yeah. Um, But I'm so thankful for his faithfulness Mm -hmm. and for the way he brings people into my life to remind me of that Mm -hmm. and to just step in. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's just been an amazing uh, way to see him work in my life. So uh, I'm so, so thankful. Mm -hmm. I, you know, there's several verses in the Bible that talks about the nearness of Jesus. Mm. He's near to the brokenhearted. Uh, I think that's the thing that took me by surprise the most was mm-hmm. the nearness of the manifest presence of Jesus mm. um, in my home in those early days of grief. Um, and and since then, like, I mean, I don't know that I've ever met Jesus like that before. And so once Mm. you meet a person like that, Mm -hmm. you know, a voice better, you know, a a sense of presence better. Mm -hmm. And so um, the gift that grief keeps on giving me Mm -hmm. is I know my father's voice way better than I did before. Amen. And and I'm so sensitive to that part of of um, his communication with me. I'm getting emotional. Um, where he, ha- that intimacy that grief mm-hmm. brings, if you let it, because you have to let it, he's not gonna just force himself on you. Mm-hmm. But I didn't have anything other to do than to just say Jesus's name over and over again. And I just feel like he was there closer than my next breath. And Mm. that's pretty close. Um, And so since then, I've had several moments where I just, he just swoops in again. And it doesn't even have anything to do with grief. It's just, and I wonder if maybe he did that before, but I didn't know what his voice sounded like. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, um, so yeah, that's probably one of my favorite things I've learned. And I, going back to the illustration of an old friend, Mm. um, I think Jesus journeys with us with grief. Oh yeah. And we get two for one, Mm. um, you know, and so when we journey with grief, um, Jesus is that constant companion. And as we journey with grief, Jesus just walks alongside with Mm. us tightly, Mm. like you're saying. And as we journey with grief, we get to know Jesus in a whole different way. Yeah. You know, just walking with him, he talks with us differently in grief. Mm -hmm. Well, the Bible says that he's well acquainted with grief. With grief, yes. And and I think... He's a man of sorrows. I just, I love the fact that he knows what it is as Mm -hmm. a full human Mm -hmm. to grieve. Yes. And, and yeah, he's fully God and he knows the end from the beginning, but the middle counts. The middle is growing us Mm -hmm. to be more like him. 
And I don't want to miss any of that. Right. And I love that he doesn't just know grief, mm. but, he, but he knows my grief. Oh, that's good. He knows intimately my grief mm -hmm. because he's an all-knowing God. And he's been with me. Mm. And I can confidently know that God knows all things. Mm -hmm. Not just because he has journeyed his own grief. Mm -hmm. But I know that God was with me in my own journey mm -hmm. and in my own loss and in my own suffering, in my own pain, in my mm -hmm. own my own story. He has yeah. been with me and he has journeyed with me and he knows my grief. And there's nothing like knowing that your counselor, Jesus, uh -huh. knows your grief and is uh -huh. walking with you. That's good. Oh my goodness. Well, I feel a little bit like we're on holy ground. <laughs> but I'm going to go to the next question. So <laughs> why is grieving what was lost so important, especially in a society that values happiness and positivity as much as we do? I don't think you can fully appreciate what is mm. until you fully appreciate what uh, has not transpired or what is lost. Mm -hmm. And one thing my counselor told me is sometimes I, I think the way you, when we talked about this, you talked about dreams that die. Mm -hmm. And we said, maybe it's dreams that we let go. Mm. Not necessarily dreams that die. Sometimes we just have to let them go. Yeah. Um, just because we can't hold on so tightly to something God can't take control of. Mm -hmm. As if I'm holding on so tightly, he can't master. Mm. When you were saying that, um, like, obviously, it was never God's intent for me to be a wife and a mom in my 20s. Right. So if I'm holding on to that so tightly, what does he want to give me that I don't have room for? Because I haven't let go of that dream. Mm. So that that was really good, Heather. Well, and and we're if we're holding on so tightly, even today to being mm -hmm. a wife and a mother, even today in my forties. Yeah, I just gave it away. That's okay. But, I'm, I'm solidly in my forties too. <laughs> Solid, solid, standing firm in my forties. Standing firm, confidently, happily That's right. in my forties. If I'm still holding, holding on to this desire and this dream, I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with holding on to a desire. But if I'm still dreaming and holding on and yearning for this that God hasn't necessarily given to me. I'm missing out on what God is blessing me with today. Um, what I do know is that God has given me these little people in my life right now that I am like a auntie to. Um, I, so I have great little people in my life. I've got two neighbors next door that are like great little people. Um, I have a used to be next door neighbor, the little guy next door. I call him my little boyfriend. Um, he's like <laughs> three years old, four years old. I love um, 
you know, and so I, I don't, I, I decided like, several years ago, like, I don't want to miss what God is giving me yeah. because I'm holding out for what God hasn't given to uh-huh. me. I don't want to miss these great things and miss out on what God is doing in my life because I'm pining away at what yeah. God hasn't done yet. Yeah. He, he may decide to give me those things, mm-hmm. but he may not do that until I'm 50. Right. But I don't want to miss out on life in my forties because yeah. I'm waiting till I'm 50. Yeah. <laughs> and but, you don't get to push rewind. You do not yeah. get to push rewind. Um, also, I think it's so important to, to name what, um, what we're either, um, letting go of or that we lost because there is no freedom. There is no life in toxic positivity. Oh, amen. So, I mean, I'm not going to be positive for the sake of being positive if there is if I'm feeling hopelessness and there is nothing that is going to get me around hopelessness, I have to crawl my way through it with Jesus right Mm -hmm. next to me. Um, But you can't heal what you don't name. Right. And the, the verse in Revelation that, that says we overcome the enemy by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. If we don't, put words to what is going on with us the enemy keeps us locked in shame and Mm -hmm. there's just no again there's no life in that Mm -hmm. um so i think that's really important too i agree with that and i think there's when we name the things that we have lost i think it helps others around us um not be locked in a prison of shame as well um, cause I think some people feel like they're the only ones. Yeah. Like, and yeah. I think giving voice to the things that we are struggling with and things that we've lost mm-hmm. helps others not feel so alone and right. in a world of singleness, we're already alone. And you wrote yeah. in one of your, yeah. one of your last newsletters, like we've done quarantine enough. Like let's not do isolation <laughs> yes. again. Like, yes. Let's not do that on purpose. Yeah. Like, solitude is solitude is holy. Like yeah. let's do that. But don't intentionally isolate yourself right. because you're fearful about what you're struggling with. Mm-hmm. Like there is purpose in community and airing out the things that we can name and overcome. Mm-hmm. And I think naming it and giving identity to those things that we've lost helps us overcome them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and that leads me into my very last question, which is how do we honor ourselves and the Lord and our stories by gr- grieving what has been lost in our singleness? And I think for me, how I would answer that question is, is naming it like, because like I said, grief means it mattered. Mm. And if we don't think that our, I think it would be really easy to say that um, God doesn't care about what we want. He cares about his will. And, but, but that is not the Jesus that I know. Mm -hmm. He may not care enough to give me everything I want because he knows who 
he meant for me to be and what I need to get me there. Mm -hmm. But to say that he's not moved by our disappointments would, how can he be a loving God and not be moved? Mm -hmm. Um, Not moved enough to change his mind. That's different. He is holy, but he cares. So Mm -hmm. it matters. But anyway, how would you answer that question? How do we honor ourselves in the Lord um, in our stories? Um, I would say, number one, live Mm. for today. Live in the moment. Be present. That's good. And ask for what you need Mm. from the Lord and from those around you. Mm -hmm. Um, Because people don't know what we need as singles until we ask them. Yeah. And from what you said earlier, there is a level to where we have to over ask. Mm But I, I think there is a uh, ignorance in our culture about singleness that people really just don't know. Yeah. And I think if you need something, you just got to speak up and you got to advocate for yourself. There Mm -hmm. is no bigger advocate for you than you. Yeah. When you need to advocate for yourself with Jesus, and I don't mean that in a in a begging kind of way, but Mm -hmm. I just mean in a, there's, there are times that I, that I feel like I just come before the father and just plead with him for just his, his connection Mm -hmm. and his compassion Mm -hmm. of who he is. Mm -hmm. I don't know how to explain that. Well, there is precedent for that. I mean, you know, the blind man Bartimaeus is, screaming for Jesus, son of David, son of David, have mercy on yeah, me. Yeah, like, don't pass me yeah. by. And what did Jesus ask him? He's screaming for, you know, Bartimaeus is screaming for Jesus. And what does Jesus ask him? He says, what do you want me to do for yeah. you? And and so there's a precedence to mm-hmm. have for, for Jesus to ask that question. What, sure. what, what, Heather, do you want me to do for you? Mm-hmm. And so, we have permission to tell him what we want him to do for us. He does not then become beholden to us to do Mm. everything that we then ask for. Right. That's the heart of father. God, what do you want me to do for you? So that's good. And he loves us to, he loves us enough to engage us. Mm -hmm. And so he wants to engage Mm -hmm. us in those conversations. So, um, you know, that's, that's my encouragement. You know, he yeah. is, he is God, but he is also a, a loving God that wants to, um, be in relationship with us. Mm-hmm. And he already knows, uh, you know, what we're thinking and what mm-hmm. we're feeling and all of those things. There's nothing that you can think or feel that he doesn't already know. So mm-hmm. you're not going to take him off guard or um, you're not going to scare him or yeah. scare him away or, you know, there's nothing you can think or feel that's that's going to steer him away or mm-hmm. anything of that nature. He is a loving God that can handle all of those things. So, you know, my, my thing is just go to him mm-hmm. and engage him. And as a reminder, there is absolutely nothing about singleness to be ashamed of. Nothing. Nothing. Do not let the enemy lie to your heart. <laughs> Amen. Um, 
with that line because man how many years has he stolen how many years of joy has he stolen from my life because i Amen. lived under a veil of shame um yes yeah no longer no mm -mm. no ma'am and grief had a lot to do with that because yeah. i fully engaged and i didn't try to walk around it and i crawled uh right through it so that's what you Amen. gotta do to get through grief you that's gotta, right gotta go through it you cannot walk around it nope so because I, I learned that grief will not be denied <laughs> it will not it you will not correct. it will not be denied you can and this i this was just in a day i remember not having enough time to engage with a grief uh squall that like uh crashed over me one morning i did not have time and by the end of the day i was in a fetal position oh. uh in my bed and i I think I actually wrote grief. I said maybe in my journal, lesson number one about grief, it will not be denied. Mm. <laughs> Do not think that you will be able to get through the day <laughs> <laughs> without acknowledging this uh, friend. Be so. sure grief will find you out. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, Heather, thank you so much for your time and your wisdom that's been hard won in this area. And I'm so thankful that you got Thank to share with us. Me. Yeah, absolutely. Friends, five days after this conversation with Heather, she had to make the impossible decision to end her sweet dog Gracie's suffering. As a single woman who is also a dog mom, I can only imagine that loss and the torture of that decision and imagine it I have. I texted with Heather just days after and asked her if I could share this with you for two reasons. One, so you could be praying for her heart as she travels along grief's hard road with this new, fresh loss. And two, because when Heather and I had this conversation, she knew Gracie was aging rapidly. And knowing Heather, she was preparing for this loss sooner rather than later and everything she said was and is still true. Even in the face of another loss, she shared how much it meant to her to know that Jesus knows her very unique and individual grief. And friends, Jesus is not a respecter of persons. What he has done for me and what he is currently doing for Heather, he longs to do for you. Put what you've lost on the table before you. Name it. Observe it. Call on Jesus. He is closer than your next breath. Heather, thank you for lending your voice to this conversation. I love you, friend. The next episode will just be me as I start to unpack some simple ways we can continue to unlearn the narrative of singleness together. Until then... May the man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, carry you through yours, and may his nearness speak to your heart a worth that no other person ever could. <laughs>